starting a new series today. And I want to give you a little backdrop to kind of context to the series. I've entitled the series, A Resilient Life. A Resilient Life. Now the word resilient, I want you to think about it this way. Growing stronger as you grow older. Growing stronger as you grow older. Now, the question really isn't whether we're growing older, right? I mean, if you're here today, uh, you know, shocker, you're one day older than you were yesterday. Okay, the question isn't really whether we're growing older. A couple of weeks ago, we were on our vacation, and we were down at Lake Potoka, and some friends loaned us their boat, so we spent the whole week, like, skiing and kneeboarding and tubing, and I was driving the boat most of the week, and I knew Dad was having a good week when all the kids were, like, Band-Aids, ibuprofen, like, we had some blood on the tube. I'm like, man, Dad is on it with the driving this week, right? Well, towards the end of the week, Dad talked mom into getting in the driver's seat so dad could get behind the boat. And I decided, you know what? I was feeling like, I was feeling 19 that day. I was just feeling it. So I strapped the skis on. I kind of grew up skiing that way. I strapped the skis on. I said, hit it. And she pulled. I just popped right up out of the water. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm feeling 19 today. And it took me, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute. And I decided, this is it. I'm going outside the wake, just like the old days. I cut over there and I'm cutting hard. I'm pulling hard. The speed is getting up there. And I decided, just like it was when I was 19, I said, you know what? I'm going to let some nice slack in that rope. I'm going to turn and point those skis right towards that wake. And I'm getting air. I'm going air right here. I gave him the signal, get the video screen out, get the iPhones out. Is this going to be a phone moment right here? So I said, right. So I cut back and I go really hard and I, and I hit that wake just right. And I got some air and I was up in the middle of the air and I go, this is going a lot better than I thought it was going to go. And I landed it and I felt, yeah, and I landed it. And all of a sudden, when I landed, way too much slack in the rope. I forgot about that. right? And I pull back like on that and I, I take this backwards flop, probably 25, 30 miles an hour on the water. And when I hit that water, church, I felt 49. (laughs) I land in that water. Our signal is always to wave to the driver to let them know at least the people in the water are breathing. And I just kind of gave them the wave. And I'm laying there going, wow, did that hurt. I do not feel 19 right now. There's no question, right, we're getting older. The question is, as we're getting older, are you getting stronger? And I'm talking about an internal strength. I'm talking about a resilience. I'm talking about a perseverance. I'm talking about a flourishing on the inside that as the years go along, hope and joy and courage and confidence in God grow stronger and deeper, resilient. And Hebrews 12 kind of gives us some window into what we're going to look at over this next four weeks. And I want to give you kind of a road map over these next four, four weeks and I'm indebted to writers like Pete Scazzaro and uh, Gordon McDonald and Paul Stevens. These guys and their writings, J.I. Packer, their writings and teachings have been really helpful to me as I've kind of delved into this topic a little bit more. But I'm going to give you the kind of the four points we're ahead, and then we're going to jump into Hebrews 12 and kind of dissect point number one today, and then we'll build on the next three. So to build a resilient life, You're not just going to wake up one day and 
You're, just gonna, you're not just going to wake up and go, I think I'm more resilient today. Like, it's not, you're not a passive recipient of resilience. If you know, this isn't a quality you just get zapped with. Like, let's say you come to Jesus. You don't just get zapped with resilience when you come to Jesus. This is the kind of quality that's built with seemingly small, insignificant choices over years. You tracking with me? Stephen Ambrose uh, wrote a really fascinating book. Um, and it was, in t- it was about the Transcontinental Railroad. Have you seen this book before? It was a bestseller years ago. Here's the book cover, um, Nothing Like It in the World. And in this, he outlines how when they got to the point where they were going to start the construction, this is the 1800s, so this is kind of 1850s, 1860s. So they're, they're going to start the process of like building the track from California, and then they're going to try to meet up. They end up having the meetup point somewhere in Utah, but they had this, like the people who were getting ready to get started said, we want to throw a big party like to, for the start of it because there are all these dignitaries together and all that. Well, there was one banker financier named Collins, Holland, Collins Hollingsworth. And he's like, this is, what, this is what Collins said when he heard about this like big party to start. Here's what he said. If you want to celebrate over driving the first spike, go ahead and do it. I don't. Those mountains over there look too ugly. We may fail. Anybody can drive the first spike, hear this now, but there are months of labor and unrest between the first and the last spike. So he didn't go to the party. Fast forward several years, they get to the end of the project. May 1869, they send a telegram to President Ulysses S. Grant. Here's what the telegram says, quote, Sir, We have the honor to report that the last rail is laid, the last spike driven, the Pacific Railroad is finished. That's a picture of the golden spike. So they actually did make a golden spike to drive in the last one. And at that point, Collis Huntington said, I got something to celebrate. You see, what what is it about human nature that we're, I think we're, preoccupied with first spike stuff. We get, we get to, we want to throw parties and celebrate a lot of first spike things, right? When, this probably helps us understand why when you get immersed in this book, you find out Jesus and the writers of scripture, they're a lot more preoccupied with last spike living. It's about the end of the run. It's about the destiny. It's about the long obedience. It's about the arc of life being large and long. I know for me, I can get preoccupied with first spike stuff. I can get excited about just getting started in something. And listen, starting is important. You can't finish if you don't start. But starting isn't everything. Start at just the beginning. And when you think about it in our walk of faith, how many times when we dialogue about our journey of faith with Jesus, it tends to be a reminiscing about way back when, when things were flourishing, about way back in the early days when, you know, we had all this youthful energy and we had this enthusiasm, we had this belief that God is great and Jesus will come through and there's nothing like living in the kingdom. And we, we, we reflect back and we reminisce when I think the quality that Jesus is looking to build in us is the kind of thing that's called resilience, that's a strength that flourishes as your age increases. 
So it should be that those who've walked with him the longest, those that are farthest down the road, have the greatest testimony about his goodness, about hope, about courage, about joy. That's supposed to be normal. That's a resilient life. And if we're going to see a resilient life cultivated in us individually and in us collectively as a church, there's going to be four key elements. First one is this, and we're going to dive into this today. We're going to have to live with the perspective of the long arc of our life. We're going to have to start living with decades, not days. We have to live in light of the last spike. And then secondly, we're going to have to work through this issue of paying attention to God's call, like a a called life. There's the way that God moves in us, and he, He calls us, and we need to respond to this calling. We'll get into that next week. And then two weeks from now, we're going to have to learn to lighten the load by repairing the past. Because you're going to find out, as you're in this race for the long haul, you're not going to lack for things that are going to try to entangle you and pull you back and keep you from everything but being resilient. So we're going to have to lighten the load by repairing the past. And then lastly, if we're going to see a resilient life built, we're going to have to band together with some lingering friendships. So that's where we're headed for this next month. And today, Hebrews 12, verse 1, here's where we're going to hang out today. Here's what Hebrews says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such an underline in your Bibles, a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. In your Bibles, you can write resilience right over that word. The race marked out for us. Let us Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You can write resilience over endured, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured, write resilience over that, such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So two qualities out of these verses about what it means to live in light of the long arc of our life, to live with the perspective of the last spike. The first one is in verse 1. Remember, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That's hearkening back to what? Hebrews chapter 11. And if you know Hebrews 11, there's some amazing names listed all through Hebrews 11. It's often referred to as the Hall of Fame of Faith. Right? You've got men like Noah in there. Noah didn't get his assignment until he was 500. Moses steps into his leadership role when he's 80. Abraham has his most significant steps of faith starting at 75. You've got, how about the New Testament with Simeon and Anna? This is the elderly couple that were living at the temple. They said Anna was 84 as a widow. They think Simeon was quite a bit older than her, so let's put him in his mid to late 90s. So you've got 90-something Simeon, 84-year-old Anna. They're the first two to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They brought him to the temple, and they don't want to say, he's the Messiah. There's the one we've been waiting for. The long arc of life. You know what? This is why it's important. We've got to be immersed in here. 
when you get immersed in these stories here, here's what you start getting a perspective on. Of course, we rejoice in the youthful beginnings and the stories that record how God still uses young people, absolutely does. But what we can't lose sight of is our most fruitful and productive years are a ways down the track. It's decades out. And that we're preparing ourselves here for this long arc when we look at lives like Moses and Abraham and Noah and Simeon and Anna. And this is why I'm a big proponent of biographies. I know many of you think biographies are so boring to read. Do you know why they're so helpful for our faith? This, it helps us live in light of the large arc. Find those great saints of the faith. Find those cloud of witnesses and read about their lives. I'm reading through Bonhoeffer's right now. And it's crazy the kind of stuff. It just helps with the perspective of the long arc. And this is why I think intergenerational relationships in the body of Christ, this is why this is so important. Do you, do you realize how healthy it is that we as a body have teenagers help leading us in worship. Do you know that's so healthy in so many ways? Because our young people, right, interrelating with those of us farther down the track, it's a both and. It's very healthy that there's intergenerational community in the body of Christ. That those who are younger in the faith, connecting up those who've been down the tracks a little farther, and it's a both and. It's not just the young people receiving from the old people all the wisdom. It's both and, right? We need their youthful energy and their youthful optimism and the joy that radiates and the expectations they have. I have to get around, student. It's good for my faith. It's good for my soul. Just get around. Get immersed with a bunch of young people who come off of a mission trip, who come through camp. If you're kind of flatlined and stale in your faith, you know what? Jump into a bunch of people who are on fire, who are young. It'll remind you that that's right. God is powerful. He does answer prayer. Jesus can do that. And it just starts rekindling something. We can learn and grow from our younger generation. It's intergenerational. This is why this is so critical. But particularly with the topic of resilience, here's what I think gets lost in the conversation. I think we all agree at some measure that building into the younger generations is a critical path in the life of a body. That's why it's so big, such a big deal for us. All that's going on in children's ministry, it's always been important to us. We know how important it is to invest at an early age and get a foundation as young as possible in our kids. But did you know this? That statistics for North America, do you know where the trajectory is going because of our health care, because of our quality of life continuing to increase? Do you know how many more years we're living as Americans and what that does with the population base? So by 2020, 18% of North Americans are going to be over the age of 65. By 2020. By 2040, one in four Americans is over 65. It's like one wife I read said, yeah, my retired husband, I got twice as much husband and half as much money. That's what she wrote. We have a lot of that going on. Combine that reality with some recent leadership data that says the most spiritually fruitful decade of our lives is. You want to take a guess? Your 60s is number one. All you 60-somethings are on fire right now. You're like, yeah, 
Let's go. Second most productive decade of your life. You want to guess? 70s. Yes, all you 70-somethings. Like, yeah, I'm not dead. I'm not done. Third most productive decade of your life. Don't go 80s. It's not there. So sorry, you 80-somethings. 50s. Number one is your 60s. Number two is your 70s. Number three is your 50s. Do you see how healthy it is to... Now, do you see how... This is what what the Bible reveals, by the way. When you immerse yourself in these stories and when you get immersed in the cloud of witnesses that surround us, here's what you find. That's absolutely true. The farther down you are, if you're stewarding the decades leading up to it well, you can't be tanking it for 45 years and expect your 50s to be the most fruitful year. You following me? You gotta be stewarding the decades approaching it well, but to see that our best years, our most fruitful years are in front of us. Do you see this? This is where resilience gets built. This is where we're not living in the rearview mirror. You're not reminiscing about what used to be. You're looking ahead about what could be. Are you with me? This is a long arc living. I was sharing some of this at our staff meeting on Tuesday, right? So I went around our staff, and we got a fairly young staff, and I was asking some of them around the table how old they were, and I turned to Ben Darge, Ben, who was on drums, who led our call to worship. I said, Ben, how old are you? He says, I'm 18. I didn't expect him to say that. I thought, I thought he was going to say 20 or 21. I don't know. Ben, he's just mature beyond his years, and, and then I first thought, Ben, what is an 18-year-old doing in our staff meeting? So I was thinking, what is going on here? But in my head, I go, I looked at him, I said, Ben, you got 42 years until you reach your peak. <laughs> he looked at me with his blank. I think he's trying to go, for an 18-year-old, 42 years isn't even the right. I turned to another staff member at the table, right? Ian Black. Ian Black, right? Here's Mr. Ian over here on keyboards today. Ian's 29. Ian, you got 31 years till you hit your peak. <laughs> Woohoo, yeah, see? He's stressed about turning 30. Like, dude, you're not even at the halfway pole here. But do you see, my point is this, right? Just step, let's internalize this for a minute. There's something so healthy about viewing the long arc of this race. Gang, I lived my 20s like I was never going to make it to my 30s. Like 30s was never going to happen. I tried to press and gather everything out of my 20s because I must have thought I was never going to live past 29 or something. Anybody else done that? You're trying to just run so hard and accomplish so much and prove yourself over and over. And you're trying to win the world for Jesus. You got all this. Those are all wonderful values. But listen, we got to have the long arc. Students up here, students hear this now. You got to be in this race, not for days. You got to be in it for decades. You got to be running it in such a way. Like Evan Bacon as a worship leader. Evan, prepare yourself for the long arc of your life, so when you're standing up here with an acoustic guitar at 60 years of age, then you're bearing the most fruit you've ever borne in all the other decades. Are you with me? That's right. He's got 40 plus years of a race of faith 
and mentorship and walking with Jesus and persevering and keeping his eyes on him and enduring the ups and the downs and everything else of life. And you stay with it. It's the long arc. And here's the quality that gets built over that. It's called resilience. Where you grow stronger as you grow older. Because gang, the question isn't whether we're growing older. The question is, are we growing stronger as we're growing older? So I put together a little insert in your bulletins. Pull this out now. I'm not going to go over it in detail, but I want you to take this with you today, and I'd like you to have some personal reflection. If you didn't pick up a bulletin, you get on your way out. And I think those of you listening online, you can electronically, it's available to you. So I put this together for two purposes. These are kind of core questions and themes that come out of the decades of life. And obviously right now you're looking at, okay, what's my current decade? And you're scanning it right now. That's fine. But here's the other thing I want you to do. I want you to spend some time this week and I want you to look out the decades in front of you. And I want you to see what's to come. And I want you to pace yourself and prepare yourself. And for those of you who maybe are a little farther down the sheet, you're in the bottom half of the sheet, folks, you reflect back, right, on some of the journey of the previous half of the sheet. Those of you in the top half of the sheet, look ahead. Look with the long. This is about decades, not days. And there's something so, I think, healthy and helpful about understanding how we can get to the end of the run with a quality called resilience, with a fruitfulness that's greater in the bottom half of the sheet. Listen, this isn't healthy. You get to the bottom half of the sheet and all you are is remembering the glory days on the top half of the sheet. No, that is not how this is supposed to work. How it's supposed to work is the farther you go down the sheet, the more fruitful, more hopeful, more joyful, more confident in God you are all the way to the end when you get to that last decade and it's the journey of letting go and you're letting go with joy and you're letting go to go home because that Jesus you've known so well for eight or nine decades on this earth, you're going to see him face to face and you die and you take your last breath with a sense of life. There's no fear and death in that. You with me? This is, gang, right here, this is the long arc of life. And to live with the long arc perspective. This is viewing the last spike. To throw the party and get the golden spike when we drive the last one. Don't just rejoice you got started. But pace yourself with a decade's worth mentality. Verse 2 builds on it this way. While we're doing that, here's the next action item. Like, how, how is this decades perspective and long art perspective built? Look, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So verse 1 says, don't forget you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You got to look at the long arc of all those saints that have come around you. And verse 2 says, and while you're doing that, you keep the gaze of your soul squarely centered on Jesus. Because I want you to think about Jesus' life for a minute. Like, Jesus spent 30 years, three decades preparing for three years of earthly ministry. Have you thought about that? 
So those of you in your 30-something, Jesus is a great example. Like, hey, it can be a lot of fruit in your 30s for sure. Look at Jesus. But he spent 30 years. Can you imagine the pressure Jesus received to accelerate the march of destiny? Can you imagine the pressure when he turned maybe 16, 17, 18? Like, hey, Jesus, come out and do your Messiah thing now. It's time, like, right? Romans are running all over the place. The Jews are being oppressed. Like, hey, it's time. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Jesus, surely by the time you're 25, come on, out of that wood shop, stop sanding those footstools and be the Messiah. 30 years. See, I think he had, again, he had the Father's long arc. Hebrews, I put it in your notes, Hebrews 5, 7, and 8. Here's a great passage to meditate, to fix your eyes on Jesus. Here's what it says about Jesus' earthly life. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. That's Jesus. Gang, if Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered, if Jesus offered up loud cries and tears, if Jesus' earthly life was marked with far from easy street, nothing about studying Jesus' life would lead you to the conclusion safety, comfort, and convenience are at the top of the stack. Nothing about Jesus' life Tons about North American culture will lead you to that conclusion. Nothing about Jesus' life would. And Jesus said, you're going to come follow me. And if they did these things to me, this is what your life's going to be marked with. The road is going to be tough, guys. The road is going to get rocky. They beat him. They whipped him. They betrayed him. They sold him out. They bloodied him. They put him on a cross as the innocent one. When they had a shot to release him, they freed the murderer Barabbas, and they crucified Jesus. And that Jesus said, with loud cries and tears, Jesus got to the edge of giving up. He got right to the edge in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, is there a plan B here? Is there another option for this? And then he came to the point, he's like, all right, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. When you get right to that edge, are you tracking with me? You put your eyes on Jesus and you consider him. What does verse 3 say? Consider him who endured such opposition. Consider him. What does it mean to consider him? That's fix the eyes of your soul squarely on Jesus. What helps you in your life keep the gaze of your soul anchored on Jesus? That's a really important question. What helps keep Jesus at the center of all the noise and chaos and activities around you? What helps keep your eyesight squarely locked on him? Because you will not lack for things trying to pull your attention to other things. What helps us consider him who endured such opposition? Why does does the writer say that? Because if we're going to have resilience in her life, we're going to have to, we're going to hit this space. And some of you are right here. Some of you are Hebrews 12.3 this morning. Hebrews 12.3 gives us this picture, right? What does it say? At the end of that verse, what does it say at the end of verse 3? So that what? You will, what's the two phrases? You will not grow weary, and the NIV says, lose heart. For some of you, that's exactly where this stretch of 2018 finds you. Some of you are right on the edge of absolute, complete weariness. 
and you're right on the edge of completely losing heart of being able to get through whatever it is you're going through. The stack of things, the pain of the previous months has cascaded into a suffering of this year where you're like, I don't know, Lord, I trust you, but I don't know. I can't see. Do you see? You, do you Consider him. What are we supposed to do when he hit that space? It tells me, verse 3 says, it must be awful easy to grow weary and lose heart. It must be very easy in this race. If he's saying you've got to consider him so that you won't grow weary and lose heart, that must mean the pull's going to be in this race of faith as we're in it for decades. Here's the battle we're going to have. There's just going to be many times we're just going to feel the pull to quit. We're just going to want to check out. It may not be outward open rebellion. It'd just be drifting away, drifting away from the things you know are so important. You know, gathering with the body of Christ on a regular basis, you know how critical path that is to your faith. You know how critical path that is for the development of your children. You know that. But life happens, and you look up, and you go, man, it's been like six months since I've been to church on a regular basis, and my kids are scattered all over the place. And how does that happen? We've grown weary. We've lost heart in some things. And what do we got to do? We got to come back, and we got to consider Him. We got to remember this race is going to be hard. This is not going to be easy. And if we're going to get to the sixth, seventh, and eighth decade and be filled with more hope and more joy and more confidence in God, we're going to have to have some resilience in these earlier decades. We're going to have to be in it for the long haul. We're going to have to not give up when life gets so hard. And it gets incredibly hard. And Jesus is our model. If Jesus offered up loud cries and tears, many of you right now in your homes, you've been loud cries and tears. Here's what I want you to know. You've got an amazing companion in Jesus. He's right there with you. If he offered up those loud cries and tears, you offer them up. You cry out. You keep leaning towards him and leaning into him. This isn't in your own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in you through his life. Jesus says, I'll be with you. I will help you. He never promised this road was going to be smooth. He never promised it was going to be straight. He never promised it was going to be pain-free, but he did promise this, I will be with you. And if you'll stay yoked up to me, I'll get you to that finish line. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. And so in the midst of the sufferings, you trust this. God is with me and he is doing some. If Jesus learned obedience through his sufferings, that means there's a lot of stuff that was going on in Jesus. Learned. How much more for us? If you're like, Lord, when I'm going through that, there's going to be some things you're going to harvest out of this. I can't see, I can't understand in the midst of it, but I will trust you. I will have the perspective of the long arc that a couple decades out it might be that I get the full perspective, but I will stay with you and I will consider him and I'll keep my eyes on you and I'll live in light of the last spike and I will trust that by your grace, I will become a more resilient man or woman in this race of faith. Because when you hit that space and you're just about to give up and you're right on the edge of growing weary and you're right on the edge of being, right, just saying, you know what, I'm going to give up, of losing hope. Right there when you hit that cusp and you decide, act of your will, you turn your gaze to Jesus and you stay with him right there through that space, do you know the quality that's built in you right there? It's resilience. That's how it's built. You don't get it unless you go through some stuff. 
but it isn't automatic. Because you go through some stuff, you get it. You've got to go through it with Jesus and trusting him to harvest out of it something that will be strength over decades. I close with this from E. Stanley Jones. Many of you who have in the missions world may know his name. He was a missionary to India. There's a picture of him. His years, late 1800s through the 1900s. Missionary to India for over 50 years. Wrote some amazing stuff. Was, um, he kind of had that role in India where his ministry became so fruitful that he began being asked to provide guidance to presidents and prime ministers. And, and Gandhi was a, became a friend of his along the way. But he basically spent most of his life in the country of India. Well, at eight, age 83, he had a severe stroke. Lost almost all of his ability to communicate. And towards the end, kind of the dying days and the last breaths of his life, he had his close family around the bed, and he whispered this paragraph at age 83. There are scars on my faith, but underneath those scars, there are no doubts. Christ has me with the consent of all my being and with the cooperation of all my life. The song I sing is a lit song. Not the temporary exuberance of youth that often fades when middle and old age sets in with their disillusionment and cynicism. No, I'm 83, he says, and I'm more excited today about being a Christian than I was at 18 when I first put my feet upon the way. That's how I want to finish. Could you and I say with E. Stanley Jones, Christ has me with the consent of all my being. It's an amazing statement. Is the song your soul is singing these days, is it a lit song? Lit on fire. Not, not a Youthful remembrance about the song you used to sing in those early days. I'm talking right here, right now, these days, is the song and the fire and the soul lit at 83. We could barely get the words out from a physical stroke. How many loud cries and tears did E. Stanley Jones have? How about the perspective of the long arc of that man's life? where so many decades would have spent not seeing direct spiritual fruit, but staying at it, recognizing he's surrounded by an amazing cloud of witnesses, and he's going to remain steadfast and immovable, and he's going to have the perspective of the last spike. And all along the way, he clearly must have been the man who said, you know what, I'm going to consider him. I'm going to keep myself anchored on Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on him. When I hit those stretches where I grow weary, when I hit those places when I want to lose heart, I'm going to stay close to Jesus. And in that space, resilience gets harvested out. For church, the question isn't whether we're growing older. The question is, are we growing stronger? Worship team, why don't you come on up? Here's how we're going to wrap this up. During this uh, final song here, I'm going to open up the front, these prayer areas on both sides.
because I recognize this topic and these themes and some circumstances going on in the life of the body that, you know, maybe this is a Sunday where you just need to come forward for some prayer. And by you coming forward, you're joining Jesus in Hebrews 5, 7, and 8. That's what you're doing. You're coming forward to say, with reverent submission, I am going to continue to run this race. And you might be right on the edge of that weariness and right on the edge of losing heart. Or maybe you're in a stretch where God is on the move in such a way and he's doing so much you're filled with more joyfulness circumstantially than ever before. And you coming forward is simply to say in reverent submission, I'm staying locked in with Jesus. And you're going to be in it with a long arc in mind. And church, I want you to hold me to it. I'm 49. So if God's, by God's grace, if he gives me another three or four decades around here, I've got my three most fruitful decades in front of me. But it won't be just because I'm automatically aging. I'm going to grow older by His grace. It keeps giving me days. I'm going to get into my 50s, hopefully 60s and 70s. But here's the question I want you to hold me to. Just say, hey, especially those of you who have lived some of the long arc with me, it's like, hey, make sure... As the years go on, the resilience, hope, joy, courage, loving people more at the end than even now, being more passionate about his work in the world down there than even now, more hope about what could be than even now, more confidence in him down the road than even now. Hold me to it. And that's my prayer for all of us. So for some of you a little farther down the decades, I hope today is an encouragement to you to say, listen, if you're in your 50s, 60s, or 70s, you're in the prime. Let's go. You've got more to offer Christ's purposes now than at any point in your life. I know you've got scars. You're like E. Stanley Jones. You've got scars. You may have a a few doubts along the way. But here's the question. Does Christ have you with the consent of all your being? Give it to him. And then run this race and go out with more fruit over these last decades than you could ever imagine. Why not? And the generations behind you, gang, that's what they are calling out and needing from those of us farther down the road. And the combination of that intergenerational ministry, I think that's true health in the body of Christ right there. So as the team sings, Some of you may need to come forward and pray. There's some stuff the Spirit's stirring up in you. You just need to come forward, lay some stuff down, pray, pray by yourself. Or I'll be over on this side. Seth, one of our elders, will be over here, and we'll spend some time praying together. And the ushers are going to come. We're going to receive our tithes, our offerings, communication card. Maybe there's something you want prayer specifically on. Please use that comment card. Place it in the offering basket, and then we're going to sing together. Let's stand together.